you know, I was, <clears throat> I was noticing this morning uh, in meditation that uh, you know, the untrained mind <laughs> goes a lot of directions during meditation. And I, you know, I've been training for a long time. And yet still, when I sit down, um, the mind, you know, heads into the future, it heads into the past, uh, digs up all kinds of uh, unsavory <laughs> granules from my childhood, or um, you know, I think I, uh, I think I accidentally sussed out my printer problem from this morning, but <laughs> but also had some memories of uh, you know eighth grade, and that's what the mind can do. You know, if we uh, don't give it an anchor when we sit down, or if uh, every time we get up, we're running in a, in a lot of directions. <clears throat> we sit down, we spend the whole meditation pulling our mind back. <clears throat> it's like a, uh, when I was a kid, <laughs> we had a TV remote, you know, that only had six buttons on it. <laughs> or may, there might have been a couple buttons at the bottom, but you didn't know what those did, you know. And... <laughs> when I was bored, I guess, you know, I would just hit the channel button and hold it, you know, and wait until something got my attention. Mm -hmm. Then I would let up and, and watch it. <clears throat> and that's a little bit what the mind feels like when it's busy. That someone sort of put their finger on the channel button. And when it piques my interest, then that's where my mind goes. <clears throat> or, you know, from a more contemporary milieu, there's this, <laughs> there's this new horrible feature on Netflix. No, surprise me. Have you seen this? I have kids, so there's a lot of Netflix and things going on. And if you don't know what to watch, you can tell it to surprise you, surprise me, <laughs> and it will just start playing something. And that's just horrifying. <laughs> I don't want to be surprised. <laughs> you don't know me, Netflix. <clears throat> but these are all functions of a mind that is on too far of a leash. You know, a mind that is uh, untrained or um, that's forgotten, you know, it's training. <clears throat> and this is why, you know, we really do need to go into meditation. It's very helpful to begin a meditation by, you know, connecting with the body, connecting with the posture, first seeing what the mood is like, what's already there, what is my inclination, or not just the content, or not even the content, all these little bits and pieces, just the channels rolling, but what's the mood of the mind? Well, maybe sit down a little bit, 
spacey or a little bit busy or a little bit dark <laughs> or a little bit excited, you know, looking forward to something. What's the mood of the mind? If we check in with ourselves at the beginning of the meditation, uh, then we have a better chance of bringing up tools during the meditation uh, that can help with any hindrances that arise. <clears throat> There's a misconception, you know, among new meditators uh, that, I don't know if anybody here is a new meditator, but there's a, but you may have experienced this when you first started. There's a misconception among new meditators sometimes that the point is to uh, stop thinking, you know, repress the thinking, go blank. And you know, after some after some practice, uh, one sees that that's not a very wholesome intention. It's um, it's a bit like just having one tool in the toolbox. You know, here's a thought hammer it down. Here, here's a thought hammer it down. <laughs> what actually, you know, we can do is learn how to skillfully use thinking to anchor the mind, to bring our attention where we want it to be, rather than just grabbing onto the next thing that pops up in the mind that is interesting to us, that piques our curiosity. <clears throat> so, for example, you know, if we sit down, we notice our posture, we check in with the mood of the mind, and the mood of the mind is dark, frustrated, angry, or some subtler version of that. Uh, we might decide to bring up metta, loving-kindness, as the object of our meditation. So bringing up metta, loving-kindness, uh, does involve some thinking. It involves some effort. You know, we are, depending on how, you know, your technique or how you've learned to use loving-kindness in the meditation, uh, we are, you know, making effort around bringing up um, a wish for happiness, a wish for our happiness, a wish for the happiness of others, a wish for calm, a wish for peace. And it's not sort of a striving wish or, you know, as we say, a, a becoming, a wish to become anything, uh, but rather <clears throat> it is a way of attending to what is wholesome, to what is useful, to what is skillful. And uh, loving kindness, friendliness, I actually quite like uh, translate the metta translated into friendliness, loving friendliness, uh, moving the mind toward friendliness uh, is much more um, wholesome and useful and even um, helpful with concentration than anger, frustration, 
anxiety, resistance. Uh, so if we're noticing those things, we can bring up uh, metta. Or if we sit down and uh, uh, we feel tired, low energy, sloth, sloth and torpor, as they say, torpitude. <laughs> that doesn't usually happen to me. I'm like this. <laughs> but I, I know people who <laughs> sit down, they need rest so much. You know, some people just need more rest, actually. Fall right asleep. <laughs> or start, if not asleep, you might just kind of start zoning out. It's not necessarily uncomfortable or resistant or angry, but it's like this pleasant kind of, you know, not attending, not being awake. If you notice that, if you check in with the posture, you'll get some information. <laughs> And then if you check in with the mood of the mind, you might notice that. And then you can bring in some tools that will um, aid in letting that go, that will aid in waking up the body. So like you might first check in with the posture. Oh, I just feel so tired. I want to be like this. This is how I sit. I have very uh, loose joints. And so I often end up in a slump like this. And it's comfortable because it is. <laughs> but if I want to organize my mind around a feeling of awakeness, around a feeling of brightness, then I might make an effort to set up straighter, bring some more energy to the posture. Um, I might bring in the sensation of light, you know, in the mind. Picture light, visualize light. Even in our tradition, you know, we tend to close our eyes, but that's not a rule, you know. Then practitioners typically sit with their eyes open you know, to, uh, to really encourage that sense of awakeness. And so we might open the eyes. It's setting the intention to uh, you know, balance those hindrances that are coming up in meditation uh, with you know, the wholesome antidotes to them. And it's not a matter of kind of seeing what's wrong and fixing it. You know, we think that's how we approach everything as humans, you know, <laughs> see the problem, fix it, see the problem, fix it. In meditation, we can see what is preventing us from being awake to the way things are, from being awake to our experience, and bring in the tools to encourage that wakefulness. <clears throat> I tend to, um, to, tend to uh, wrestle with uh, restlessness. 
So restlessness, they say, and worry, restlessness and worry. So this kind of ruminating over past issues, trying to fix future problems, wondering if right now is okay. You know, that's my uh, kind of root <laughs> hindrance, <laughs> this rest, restlessness and worry, restlessness and anxiety. So I'm not likely to fall asleep in meditation, um, but I'm not, with restlessness, I'm not any more awake, you know, in the sense of being present for the way things are, because I'm moving forward, trying to fix things, you know, trying to like suss out what's already happened, um, letting those kind of channels shuffle through, and uh, you know, <clears throat> dealing with restlessness, uh, we can kind of go to the breath. That's my main object of meditation, connecting the breath to the body, you know, coming down out of the mind, finding a spot in the body to focus on that uh, is below my chin. <laughs> Problems, <laughs> solutions. <laughs> and uh, for me, actually, uh, opening the eyes uh, with restlessness has been very helpful as well. Uh, because at least here, you know, and at home, in my sitting spot, uh, when I open my eyes, I see the Buddha. I see the candles and the incense, or if I'm sitting up here, I see other practitioners uh, also on the path. And that's very calming. It's very calming to feel supported in this really wholesome, skillful way. And so when I feel restless, sometimes I'll open my eyes and I'll contemplate the characteristics of the Buddha. This potential for being completely awake. This potential for being totally compassionate. Uh, the potential for being um, completely able to respond to circumstances and conditions uh, the way they are, bringing wisdom to every situation, an appropriate response. So focusing on, you know, the Buddha can very much calm the heart, but also kind of raise like a wholesome energy. Oh, there is this potential. There is this model. I can't, you can't tell me anything. I need models. <laughs> I follow examples. <laughs> and... The Buddha is uh, such a good example for the way um, we can live, the way that we can approach problems, the way that we can approach um, other people. <clears throat> uh, that contemplating, bringing my mind, this is thinking again, isn't it? But it's wholesome thinking. So bringing my mind to the characteristics of the Buddha, settles the heart, even though it is 
thinking, it is encouraging awakeness. And we can do the same with um, contemplating, you know, the Dhamma, the Buddhist teachings. We can sit down in meditation, especially if we know we've got kind of a busy mind or a restless mind. Before we sit down, before we collect ourselves in meditation, we can decide what maybe one piece of the Buddhist teaching that we'd like to contemplate, that we'd like to mull, that would be useful to investigate. And there's so many to choose from. So like a right intention, you know, the intention to um, non-harming, non-ill will, uh, non-clinging. And just sitting down with um, bringing to mind the Buddha's teaching on right intention uh, can really open the heart to what is. It's bringing the mind to what's useful, what's wholesome. We can break it down, smaller bits, just non-harming. Sit down, investigate non-harming. Yeah. What does that feel like, non-harming? What does it feel like when I'm engaged in harmful behaviors? What does it look like when I see people modeling non-harming? Compassion, really, if you take it. You know, to its fullest, a complete compassion. What is compassion? What happens when I bring up compassion? We can take these pieces and parts of the Dhamma of the Buddhist teaching and apply them in our meditation. And that brings the mind to something wholesome. I'm not suggesting that we kind of always have a curriculum <laughs> to sit down with or an agenda to sit down with, but sometimes the mind needs a place to put its energy. And it's better, it's more useful if the mind puts its energy toward something skillful, something wholesome, like the Buddhist teaching. We can also contemplate, um, you know, our own generosity, say, our own good characteristics. <laughs> when was I last generous with somebody? How did that feel? What was that moment like? Did it feel good for them? Did it feel good for me? How can I perpetuate that? Long person made a, this is kind of the, the flip side of that, but long, long person made said that um, when he was younger, this is a very senior monk in our tradition, the most senior Western monk in our tradition, so that when he was younger, he had a big problem with jealousy. He was uh, jealous of other people, jealous of their accomplishments, um, what they had, their uh, abilities. And 
he got so sick of it, you know, that he just decided to sit down in meditation over a period of days or weeks, I don't remember, and bring up everything that he was jealous about. <laughs> now this takes a, you know, you might want to do this with the help of a teacher. <laughs> uh, but he wanted to see, he wanted to look at these things that were impinging him and preventing him from continuity of mindfulness. Yeah, so he had a project in meditation. His project was to look at jealousy. That's, that's more advanced. <laughs> Could cause problems. <laughs> but, you know, if we're interested in learning, willing to look at our um, impingements, our you know, hindrances that are uh, areas of greed, hatred, and delusion, uh, you know, we can try it out. We can try it out and see what does that feel like to hold something in a very safe space, sitting in a room full of people meditating. We're safe. It's quiet. There's others with us. Try it out. Bring something up that's a little bit difficult, maybe. Look at it. So there are a lot of ways that we can skillfully use uh, thinking in the meditation to anchor the mind, to anchor the body, uh, to encourage wakefulness and um, an insight. Thank you. Do you want to? <clears throat> I'll just say a little bit what came up for me. Um, thank you very much for that Dhamma talk. Quite a quite a few things came up for me during that. <clears throat> I kept like, oh yeah, I can. I'll share this, and then you five minutes later. Oh no, I'll go. I'll share this, <laughs> and then. Toward the end, oh, no, no, I'm going to share this. So I'm like, which one do I share? What story do I share? So you talked earlier about uh, right intention, about letting go. That was it. And then right intention. And um, there, was, there was a third one there. I'm going to drop it for now. But And what came up for me? Oh, restlessness. That was the other one. I'm definitely the restless type as well. I never fall asleep in, med in meditation. <laughs> it takes me some time to just, you know, settle down. And I remember once two things. My very first short retreat, weekend retreat with Ajahn Amaro, just first time sitting with him on a little retreat. Um, and he talked about letting go. And at the end of the retreat, after the retreat, I went up to ask him, you know, you talk about letting go, but I cannot understand how to let go. Because when I'm thinking about something to, and I want to let it go, I'm thinking about it, and I'm not letting go. I don't know how to let go. I'm like waiting, waiting to let it go. I'm still thinking about it. And he goes, "Oh yeah, it's like this." 
<laughs> I was like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> and then near, years later in practice, so I'm still working with this. Yeah, I can physically let something go, but what does it mean to mentally and emotionally let go? How is that possible? And I was at a, uh, at a Bayagiri, and we were doing an all-night sit, and it's about two in the morning, and again, I... I build up, I was building up energy as opposed to falling asleep in, uh, with meditation. And I'm getting really restless. I'm physically getting super restless. And my, it's like my knees are screaming at me to get up and walk out the door, get some exercises, just do it, do it, do it, do it now. <laughs> I can't stand this. And you have to commit to if you don't leave at the hour bell, you have to sit for the hour, or if you do leave for the hour bell to do walking, you don't come back in until the hour. I don't know if they still do it that way, but that's the way they were doing it then. And I, and there was still, you know, we'd only been sitting for like 20 minutes. And I was just, I was like, no. So I started to think about, well, my, my intention is to do as they asked so that I'm not disturbing. At this time, it was a very small shrine room. So I'm not disturbing anyone. So I'm going to sit. I'm not, I'm not getting up. But my body is screaming, and I'm starting to come up with all these thoughts of ways to get out of the room. And I, so I just, I just turned to my mind and said, okay, I am sitting, you know, but listen, body, <laughs> you, if you settle down and, and be quiet, I promise when that bell rings, I will get up and walk, I'll, and I won't come back in until the three o'clock bell. So just settle down. And the minute I made that really strong intention and knew it, it was like it, everything just stopped. The body just calmed down. The mind actually did go quiet for a little bit, and, it was, and I just felt blissful. It was like it was like a hamster on a wheel and it flipped off. And, and all of a sudden I was like in shock that I'm not spinning anymore. My legs aren't. And then that thought of Ajahn Amaro dropping, doing this was like, that's it. It's an actual physical and it's a physical result of a mental intention, but you really have to know what that intention is and you have to really set it. So I was just telling myself, I'm not doing it. I'm not getting up, but I promise you, as soon as, as you settle down, so what I actually had said, I'm just remembering this, as soon as you settle down, I promise you, I will just get up and, and go out. I'll do it very quietly. But as soon as I did that, I didn't need to get up. And so I was able to stay there until this to whatever bell it was the hour on the hour and got up and didn't come back in until it was time to do our morning chanting. And so there's, it really is connecting as Jessica was saying, it's connecting, really knowing what is my intention here. And if it's not wholesome, just deciding to, I'm going to do the wholesome thing. I'm going to do it this way and really, when we, when we merge our wakefulness with wholesome intention, the rest follows. 
It means we're not, we're not suffering anymore. We're not fighting the way things actually are. We're actually in tune and the, and the, and the body follows, you know, the results is but that intention is, you know, really, really important to wake up to. So I'll quit talking because <laughs> I see we've only got about five minutes. <laughs> oh yeah. Thank you. Love those stories. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a million. Yeah. <laughs>